The broadcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen-only mode. Hi, good afternoon. This is Anthony Pudlow, Vice President of Professional Affairs here at the Iowa Pharmacy Association. It's a pleasure for me to be on this uh, live podcast for the first time to really be able to provide um, Iowa pharmacists and pharmacy technicians and student pharmacists with a chance to hear a little bit more about what happens at a Board of Pharmacy meeting. This is a new endeavor for IPA to really work in collaboration with our colleagues at the Iowa Board of Pharmacy. Our intents with these podcasts are going to actually be a, a chance over 15 minutes to really just share with pharmacy professionals what was really discussed at the most recent Board of Pharmacy meeting. Um, not just what this means for you and your pharmacy practice, but what this means for the profession moving forward. Um, our hope is in the future that we'll actually be able to also have these sessions accredited for pharmacy law as CE both for pharmacists and technicians, so it's a great benefit that we're hoping to provide in the near future. But for today's purposes, really we're just going to have this as a live um, video recording for uh, individuals to listen and, and hear a little bit more about what the Board of Pharmacy meeting was like. So what we always intend to do with these is that we're going to have a representative or two from the Board of Pharmacy. Um, in, these ca in today's case, what we're doing is we're going to have uh, be joined here by Andrew Funk, the new executive director at the Board of Pharmacy, as well as Jennifer O'Toole, who is one of the compliance officers whom some of you may know. So actually, I might first start this off with just a general uh, question for, for Andrew. Andrew, I know that we have many of the listeners on this podcast that probably have never attended a Board of Pharmacy meeting before. Um, can you go ahead and maybe just describe what a traditional Board of Pharmacy meeting looks like? What's the difference between open session and closed session? And really, what's the flow of the agenda usually like? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Anthony, for, for having uh, Jennifer and I on the, on the uh, podcast today. I'd be happy to talk to you about those things. Um, the Board of Pharmacy, we, we conduct six uh, board meetings throughout the year that would be in person. And we have teleconferences uh, throughout the year as necessary. But during the, the six scheduled board meetings, the board will meet uh, according to open records or open meetings laws. And uh, th that, that will be conducted, they'll conduct an open session and they also conduct a closed confidential session. And so with the closed session, the board will uh, review investigative reports, they'll um, contemplate cases, uh, uh, discipline, uh, they'll talk about any, any uh, licensee information that's considered confidential will be discussed in closed session. Uh, the open session part of the meeting is open to the public. And it's really the agenda is split up into um, several different topics that would include reports, um, requests, as well as updates on rules and legislation. Perfect, perfect. And honestly, yeah, as IPA staff member here, I would just let the group know that um, I do attend every board meeting on behalf of IPA. So at least for our perspective, we can offer any in insight and advice to the board if, if it's asked of us. Um, occasionally, we do appear on the Board of Pharmacy agenda as well with various requests or pilot project um, discussion points as well. But actually, Andrew, speaking then to kind of uh, some of those components of the agenda, I know at the board meeting just this past, uh, just this past week, there was quite a few um, requests from uh, pharmacies, specifically I would say hospital pharmacies, that we're requesting a waiver of a certain area of the Iowa Administrative Code that regulates 
pharmacy practice, that being Chapter 20 as it relates to compounding. And I know the Board of Pharmacy had recently adopted new regulations that really now endorse the USP standards for sterile and non-sterile compounding, that being Chapters 795 and 797. Um, can you maybe speak to what the nature of some of these requests look like and how the board um, reacted to some of these requests coming forward? Sure. So uh, last November, the board adopted rules that would incorporate uh, USP 797 and 795 by reference into its own rules, thereby making them enforceable at the state level. Uh, and the, the final implementation of the final enforcement date of those rules, the new, the new, the new adoption would be uh, May 18, 2016. And so prior to this, um, the compliance officers decided that it would best, it would, it would best serve uh, our licensees and registrants by making, um, making visits to uh, locations that would compound, specifically the, the sterile compounding uh, locations, and just educate them on, the, number one, the fact that the rules have changed from being um, going from our own set or our own interpretation of 797 to now um, fully implementing 797 and really kind of assessing the, the current um, environmental uh, areas of where, where the compounding is taking place as well as the, the pharmacy's procedures on compounding. And so as the compliance officers were, were making these visits, there are several pharmacies or several hospitals that, uh, that the compliance officers felt may not be in full compliance uh, with, with 797. And so at this point, the, the hospitals then came forward with waiver requests so that they would have additional time to, to become compliant. Gotcha. And maybe, Jen, this is a question for you. Um, I know the board compliance officers, some, and I can't re recall if it was yourself or not, have gone through some additional training to better understand some of those USP standards. Um, could you maybe speak a little bit about some of the training that you provided or maybe just areas in general that maybe you've been noticing some hospitals or even other community pharmacies that may not be in compliance with, with USP standards at this point that may warrant them to seek a waiver request? Absolutely. Um, the, a handful of compliance officers attended training on how the regulation of 797 up in Minneapolis through Critical Point. We also have done... All of us have done over 20 hours of continuing education in sterile compounding and 797. So we have had uh, CE and part of that being live CE on the regulation of 797. So then we met with, like Andrew had said, we met with uh, mostly hospitals but also some retail pharmacies that engage in sterile compounding. We assess their situation. Some of those were roundtable discussions, and we had a few hospital representatives there. Some were on site, uh, and we didn't really call them inspections. We called them assessments, and we just went through the rules with them, the 797 rules, and uh, answered the questions that they had, their concerns. Uh, their 797 is very involved, and there's a lot, a lot of requirements there, and so some places had a a lot of improvements to make to comply with 797 standards. Perfect. Yeah, I, I think I can definitely tell that um, the compliance officers were adding quite a bit of feedback um, to the board members um, due to all the training that you guys have had. I think it's definitely noticeable. Um, and especially with each of the individual requests, you can tell 
certain hospitals. Um, some of them really knew the key components of the standard that they were non-compliant with right now. Others that probably needed a little better, the bit of better guidance on their plan moving forward. And I think that it also echoes some of the concern that many pharmacies have, knowing that um, USP Chapter 797 is still um, going through its own changes, that everybody's trying to stay well in tuned and, and really trying to do their best to remain in compliance with the board. But um, at least my general observation at the meeting is that the board was very willing to work with these pharmacies to, to understand what it would do to construct either a new clean room or what might be needed for funding at their level in order to, to get their practice up to speed. So um, I think it was a great active dialogue throughout the board meeting on these specific waiver requests. I don't know, um, Andrew, Jen, if you have any additional comments about that section of the board meeting yesterday. Yeah, you know, there, there were several. I mean, we probably had 20 to 25 waiver requests um, for that particularly uh, address sterile compounding. And really, there, there were a couple different things that were presented. One, we had some waiver requests that were um, looking at current USP 797 requirements, and that, that those, those requests the board considered to be applicable at that time. There were other requests where, that were being made that were assuming the, uh, the new updated 797 uh, requirements, which the board didn't feel as though uh, though that they should be addressed at this point. So what this, what this will look like is when 797 does become uh, finalized and it's published, uh, our board will not have to go through the rule promulgation process to get those um, rules updated or, or incorporate those amendments since we, we uh, reference it simply uh, as 797 in our rules. But that also being said, I think, I think our compliance officers um, are of the same mind that we, we would see this as a, as a time to educate and we would go into, into uh, the, the hospitals and the pharmacies that are doing the sterile compounding and educate them on those new 797 updates. Great. Well, maybe another area then as we maybe transition to an, um, another agenda item that I think kind of popped up in a couple areas um, during the board meeting is that that relates to legislative updates. I know right now we've finally have concluded this year's legislative session um, and that the Board of Pharmacy and even IPA had various legislative bills that um, were able to move forward. Um, one, one being the primary Board of Pharmacy bill that was passed that had a lot of different components in there. I think maybe one of the areas that had the most discussion um, was around telepharmacy. Um, and I don't know, Andrew, if you wanted to speak a little bit about where things kind of settled with the Board of Pharmacy's uh, piece of legislation, um, the primary bill. I know you had a couple, but if you want to maybe speak to the primary bill at this point. Yeah, sure. So um, primary bill had lots of, uh, lots of areas of development for pharmacy, but specifically uh, one of the areas that is of most importance to, to most licensees at this point is the area of telepharmacy. And, and this, uh, this part of the bill really just establishes a new licensing category for telepharmacies. Um, kind of talks about the requirements for um, what managing pharmacies will look like and give the board the authority to, to uh, promulgate rules regarding telepharmacy. Um, also talks about a, a, a mileage restriction in which a telepharmacy can operate um, at a, at a, in a community setting. And what's unique about, about this is um, this, this legislation actually provided a waiver um, uh, it, 
it provided a, an option for a waiver to be established to waive the legislative requirement. Typically when we see waivers, it's something that is a, a rule is being, is being waived, not legislation. So in this case, if we have a, a telepharmacy that's seeking licensure that is within that 10 mile radius restriction, they can, they can approach the board and request a, a waiver to that piece of legislation. And the board then makes a decision. And what's also unique here is that that decision isn't final. That decision then goes to the director of public health for his or her's ultimate uh, approval or uh, denial. Can you hear us? Andrew, can you, I think that's a great review. If you wanted to maybe speak, I know from now that the legislation passed and, and it would become active um, come July 1st, um, mm -hmm. maybe speak to maybe just the timeline moving forward since the board would have to now then adopt rules and put those in play um, to, to enact this on the various components of this legislation? Sure. So um, we've already begun the promulgation of the rules pertaining to telepharmacy. We'll, we'll have a meeting, another rules committee meeting next week in which this will be an obvious area uh, topic of discussion um, for the continued uh, promulgation of these rules. It, 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 would, it would seem to me that um, throughout this process we'll, we'll be holding a public hearing to get public comment uh, on this particular area of, of the rule development. Um, that most likely will be, I would assume, sometime uh, either late summer, early fall. Um, and I think best case scenario in this situation, we would have uh, rules uh, noticed and, and approved by the first of the year. Okay, great. And, and maybe then, Andrew, if you could just maybe speak um, your perspective and how the board reacted. I know there's a couple other um, legislative bills that were passed that definitely impact pharmacy um, and just uh, maybe how the conversation went at the board meeting. I know there is a bill that related to naloxone as well as 90-day dispensing. Um, can you maybe speak to those briefly? Yeah, you know, Anthony, I'm going to actually um, let Jen O'Toole uh, speak to those. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Jen. Uh the first one is relating to the possession and administration of emergency drugs by first responders and other persons uh, in a position to assist uh, for purposes of treating drug overdose victims. Um, this dealt with, uh, this is going to allow pharmacies to dispense first dose um, opioid antagonist uh, drugs such as naloxone to fire departments, to police stations, to, to entities and not, uh, does not have to be specific to the end user. And that sounds, it sounds very similar to the bill that passed, I believe, last year that focused on epinephrine. So it would be a very similar rule writing process, I would imagine. Um, Absolutely and would very similar. Provide, right? And I would just also add, though, too, I know some people that have been following the legislative session knew that IPA was working towards some legislation that would really encompass pharmacies' role further, um, say, maybe through the use of a statewide protocol. 
Um, there was language that was included in the state appropriations bill that related to this same bill. Um, now, right now, that bill um, or the appropriations bill is waiting for the governor's uh, uh, final signature on, but that bill also is subject to light item veto. So we don't know quite yet where that where that might land, but there may be additional components to this um, idea of opioid antagonists and the role that pharmacists play. So, Jen, you maybe want to speak then finally about that 90-day dispensing bill? Sure. This one um, allows pharmacists to use their professional judgment and dispense up to a 90-day supply as long as it does not exceed the total number of authorized doses. So, for instance, if a prescriber wrote for a quantity of 30 with a year's worth of refills, a pharmacist, using their professional judgment, could dispense up to a 90-day supply. And this is excluding uh, controlled substances. Okay. And that probably then helps alleviate some of the concerns I think many pharmacies might have been having in practice to date, where the rules might have prevented that process from really happening, correct? Oh, well, I think so. I think it will make it much easier for pharmacists to dispense 90 supplies. There will be no question and, um, and be able to use their professional judgment. For sure. Okay. Well, I think that covers a lot of the main topics that I think we saw come forward out of this Board of Pharmacy meeting. Um, I might look for any final comments from, from you, Andrew, or Jen about this, this meeting that just happened this week. Yeah, sure. There are a couple things I would highlight. The, the board has recently developed a program that uh, that kind of enhances our, our social media and our, our electronic outreach, if you will. Um, through the use of Facebook and Twitter, uh, we have a, a new listserv that if you go to our website, you can sign up for specific notifications that would be pertinent to either uh, your profession uh, as a pharmacist technician or um, specifically to your area of practice that, that we might uh, we might send out. So I just want everyone to be aware of that. We also are, are considering uh, doing a live stream through Twitter with uh, Periscope. Uh, that's something that we're, we're considering and throwing around and, and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to institute sometime in the near future. For sure. Well, I want to thank both Andrew and Jen for joining us on our inaugural Board of Pharmacy podcast. Um, as Andrew was talking about, I know the board is really trying to allow individuals to better attend meetings that, that may not be able to attend live in person. But I will say the next board, pharm the board of Pharmacy's open session is going to be occurring on Wednesday, June 30th. Um, the meeting will usually start at 9 o'clock in the morning. I think that's the, the intent here. But if you can attend, that's great. If not, we look forward to having our next podcast shortly after June 30th and keeping everybody well informed of what's been going on with the Board of Pharmacy. So thank you everybody for joining on our inaugural podcast and enjoy the rest of your day.